3: once again for another one of our episodes on uh, matches of the year i'm joined by a couple of familiar faces uh, nick carter is there and miles is there how are we doing on this a uh, little chilly december evening in europe i don't know what the weather's like where you are miles it
2: is a little chilly here in uh, south louisiana i have a hoodie on so i'm enjoying yeah. the weather
3: nick i guess you and i whenever i speak to my father okay my father's in norfolk and you're uh, sort of in or near stoke um which which county is stoke by the way staffordshire staffordshire okay um whenever i speak to my father and i say it's been raining today he says oh it's been raining here too oh it's been snowing today sunny today whatever the weather i have it seems to be the same as most parts of the uk so here it's been about nine ten degrees cloudy uh may have been a bit of drizzle that's about it was that same same for you nick pretty much i mean it's the uk so what else can you yeah. expect i know but some you, i just thought that you know a few hundred kilometers might mean very different temperatures but no doesn't seem to be Ger- western germany and southern or, or central uk seems to be the same anyway people are not here to, to hear about the weather miles is already thinking you british and the weather um but it didn't sound that luxury luxurious to me but hey this might this might get cut I don't know we've we've spent a minute and a half and we haven't even started talking about tennis yet we'll we'll (laughs) see if this this makes it through the edit what has made it through the uh something else anyway is uh the number two choice for WTA matches of the year which is (sighs) drum roll Arena Sabalenka against Iga Svantec in Madrid uh, they had a few clashes this year. Uh, WTA finals, I remember, which was a pretty convincing beatdown for Sfiontech, but she pretty much beat everyone down in Cancun, uh, even the weather eventually. And uh, so that's kind of ironic considering what we just talking about. And then, of course, they played each other in, in Stuttgart uh, just about two or three weeks before this match. The week, um, I think it was like two weeks before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were there any other matches this year between those two? No, I think there's only really only three. I think it was just those three, yeah. Okay so I mean we we got close a few times we saw them both in semi-finals and probably thought okay they're going to play each other in the final like we did in 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 Paris for example but I think the Stuttgart one really is probably a good place to start because that happened as I say just 2 weeks before clay indoors though different conditions Svyontek and Sabalenka were neck and neck throughout large parts of the first set there um but then Ego ends up racing away with it as Nick Nick's look at me puzzled because he he's wondering if I'm going to say that they were neck and neck throughout which of course I know they weren't but I do <laughs> recall the first six or seven games being super close and super amazing but they managed to replicate that for three sets in in Madrid whereas in Stuttgart she kind of raced away with do you have any memories of the Stuttgart match um Nick by the way
0: not an awful lot other than uh yeah I remember eager taking control of it I mean um yeah I think for me the Stuttgart matches because it was so close to the Madrid final but it it's kind of completely overshadowed by it um, yes yeah like this match was far more memorable I think Sabalenka played better um in this Madrid match um so I don't remember an awful lot of it other than um yeah eager winning there which I thought I was a little surprised by because I thought arena might win it but you know, she's lost the world number one in the final of their three years running so i guess why not continue that streak
2: <laughs> there's one point yeah. you missed nick about stuttgart the only thing well i shouldn't say the only thing but one of the things that uh sticks out of my memory about the stuttgart matchup between swiatek Sci- and sabalenka is the trophy ceremony when sabalenka got her vase looking trophy and i guess she was just completely fed up with the fact that she gets the runner-up trophy again and not the actual Porsche, so she did her best uh Ken Griffey Jr impression and tried to swing at the Porsche with the trophy yes, I which that. I thought yeah. was kind of funny
3: <laughs> yeah it was yeah yeah I mean she's actually been in defeat in a couple of finals this year so, yeah uh, I was quite amusing she was also amusing when she lost to Rebecca and her on court in Indian Wells they were having a giggle yeah. together I remember I mean I think they, they got on quite well um wasn't probably quite as warm the the relationship between these two but there is a handshake at the net I remember uh, thinking about that in that I, I know that uh, given the tensions and uh between Ukrainians and Russians or Ukrainians and Belarusians and an eager stance on 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 the war that things could have been but there was a handshake and I've actually seen some very complimentary comments from both players about each other in recent weeks actually so um I think any any suggestions that they don't get on is is not true but i also don't think they may be best of friends but maybe that's quite good and quite understandable we've also heard Djokovic talking about that and how it's a bit difficult and we've seen it with martina and and chrissy in the past where they said that you know i think i saw chrissy ever tweeting the other day that it you know it'll get better once you've retired it's just it's just very <laughs> difficult when you're when you're trying to win these biggest of matches and and this was a huge one um uh Iger's run by the way to the final was pretty unhindered except for one round when she was pushed by alexandrova um i don't know if you remember much about her run in madrid nick but she was straight sets all the way except for i mean kurumatova was was it, it was a real beat down 6-1-6-1 6-1. and i remember sviontek telling the press we were huddled actually afterwards um iga was just saying that she was trying to be as kind as she could but she did say that she knew that kuda matova couldn't move on the clay uh but someone who can move on the clay quite well maybe not quite at Eager's level though is sabalenka and uh yeah i don't know if you've got any sort of broader memories on sriantec in madrid this year uh nick uh
0: yeah i i remember being really really impressed by the tennis she was playing at that point obviously eager on clay is a legendary combination the Alexandrova match that was alexandra having a purple patch the purple match of her life mm-hmm. and throwing everything she could at eager and it worked for as long as she could maintain it but generally eager was unstoppable against anyone the kudamatova match was a masterclass really by shviontek um didn't put a yeah. foot wrong there was nothing Kudamatova could do um but Sapolanka was in such good form this year and so genuinely going into the final it was really really hard to call it even though
3: shviontek was uh was was looking imperious on the surface Sabalenka's run quite similar in a way just one set dropped on the way to the final um to Maya Sharif uh but she had a fairly comfortable semi-final as well over Maria Sakkari. um but she did beat Andreva uh on route which is which is pretty impressive now I mean Andreva <laughs> before Madrid was not known to the casual observer certainly but that's the tournament where she made her name uh, beating Leila Fernandez among others uh, which you know was a was a, a huge shock when she beat Layla. But then again, that one's aged not so bad from uh Layla's perspective. But yes, going into the final, I think was 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 Iga the slight favorite for you, Miles, going into the final?
2: Yeah, actually. Um she was the favorite uh before the effects of hindsight after watching the match back. I thought that Iga would be able to outmaneuver Sabolenka. I think, like Nick, you said earlier, Swiatek has proven to be quite a legendary um, force already in her young career on clay. I mean, winning winning three out of the last four Roland Garros kind of does that does the work for you. So I definitely had Swiatek as the winner of that matchup before uh, the first ball went into play. But Sabalenka quickly made me realize that she is. Um, on par with another uh, person that's actually won madrid a couple of times and i'm thinking of petra kavitova there's something about the conditions the fact that the clay gives you a little bit more time naturally but also you're in uh high altitude which makes your ball go through the air a little bit you know quicker which if you're a big hitter that's advantageous for you even more so so there's there, mm-hmm. There's something that that Sabalenka likes there, but I didn't really have any of those things
3: as outweighing Swiatek on that on that match day. Yeah, I mean, probably if we look at these two in on clay generally, there would be a, a gap of varying proportions. But those varying proportions depend on the arena and the location. And uh, you just touched on it there, Miles. And I, I think I can imagine. I've known Nick for just over a year now and I can imagine as you're saying those things Nick is thinking ah miles the conditions
0: <laughs> well uh, yes I mean the conditions were different I mean, I've been thinking about this you know on on paper I think the conditions were what made this match so good yeah actually um because as Miles was saying the altitude helps Sabalenka's ball float go through the court she can hit through the court like she can on hard like she can on grass serve
3: as well serve as well inter- serve. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah but obviously it's still clay so eager's yeah. movement is gonna give yeah. her uh, a foothold in the match whatever happens then you know we'll talk about it a bit but she was able to run down a lot of what Sabalenka was throwing at her obviously using her legendary defense um the the top spin that she has in her shots is gonna be much more effective on the surface Um, So, yeah, it was almost, Madrid is always the ideal scenario for them both to bring their best um, in a match. So, you know, I think if they have another Svantec-Sabalenka final in 2024 in Madrid, we're going to have a lot to look forward to.
2: It's very interesting, though, because they literally played before the Madrid final. We talked about it briefly in Stuttgart. And Stuttgart is indoor uh, clay, which you would think would benefit Sabalenka, but now she's 0-2 against Wiatek in those finals. And I think there's something to be said, and we've hit on it just now, about how big of a factor the uh, altitude is. Because I don't, I'm not familiar unfortunately with the altitude in Stuttgart, but I would imagine it's not the same as Madrid so that it really does it's like a, it's like an extra opponent or something that you can use um, maybe an extra ally or an opponent if you uh, use it for you or against you in terms of how you maneuver your, your point and uh, strategically play on the court. So that's interesting.
3: It can also play a factor in terms of fitness i don't think we saw it Mm. necessarily in this final but certainly if i mean we don't have five setters anymore outside of the slams but i think it would become a bigger factor if we did because because breathing is is can be an issue it's not i mean it's not ridiculous and i was there in madrid and trust me i had no problems breathing except for maybe after the sixth or seventh beer but um (laughs) or as i chased to the bar uh to before it would close but actually actually, and on that matter i just want to just found my um Little uh, Madrid uh, press pass, that was pretty cool. I had a great time there. And I know there was some understandable controversy regarding on-court speeches for the doubles, uh, but the, te- the two finals, I was just thinking about how lucky I was to see the number two match of the year and a contender for the top seven in the men's. It didn't quite make it in the end, but uh, with Struff and, and tried uh, <laughs> I did try you know I did try out. yeah you know <laughs> everyone knows I tried but anyway <laughs> um there we go uh but back to this one here and, and Madrid and, and I had a great time I remember um uh chatting to quite a few people before this match and and, and being pretty pumped for it um and it, and it it didn't let me down uh in any way shape or form I mean like uh, we can start to sort of uh, go through it right now uh I I sort of we've just been watching some of the highlights back and I was amused by the robot bringing the drinks and also the tennis balls uh, onto court at the beginning I I don't recall that happening live but who knows I may have been at the bar at that point is um, that a is that a
2: connection to the sponsor of the event in any way don't
3: know but what I will say is this Madrid is a bit of a fu- a, a funkier Tournament compared to others, it's not, it's probably the opposite of Wimbledon in 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 Wimbledon, and Rome, too. Yeah, and maybe yeah. Rome as well. Yeah, very much so. Rome is in this arena that's, tradition,
2: and yeah,
3: it's the end of you've got the you've got the the statues around, and it's you feel like you're in an arena that could be 100 and 150 years old or whatever. Madrid yeah. is is a uh, is an area where I guess they have concerts uh, as well, but it seems like uh it's kind of a it's almost like an indoor amusement park. I know it's out, the 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 stadiums are all outdoors, of course, but actually lots of the, when you're going between the courts, you're actually indoors. Um, May as well, it's starting to get pretty hot in there, although uh, actually indoors, I don't know if there's air conditioning there, but it didn't seem to be too bad. But it has a funky feel. I mean, the tournament uses Twitch a lot to put out their material. They are sort of, you know, there was, there was other YouTube channels there. They're a little bit uh funky and maybe a little bit more up to date than than others. innovative
2: maybe yeah. innovative
3: is a, is a great word yes exactly thank you miles and uh innovative in in many respects is what these two players uh can also display um sfiontech aggression I made a note about that uh, in the first set as she saves break points that kind of the first key moment of the match and and uh, I wonder what you make Nick of, of evolution this year I mean there's been some talk about that in recent weeks right
0: yeah I mean it's interesting um I actually think Fiontech's evolution has been towards controlling the aggression rather than becoming right, exactly more that's why.
3: that's why I made a note of this aggression moment because I was like that's yeah. interesting because she's a bit yeah. more controlled maybe
0: yeah she is now like yeah. she was at the end of the, the Asian Swing and in Cancun um I think back in Madrid she was playing well enough that being a bit more aggressive was working um i think she gets away with it a bit more on clay um and she was taking it to sabalenka like they were from the start there were some incredible rallies between the two of them and she could counterattack of what sabalenka was throwing at her which is unusual given the amount of power that um sabalenka throws at her and that, that was a very tightly contested first set right up until the very end um of of the set and it really yeah, the the winners she was going for were uh, were really impressive. And so, so yeah, it was, it was interesting. Yeah, in in comparison to what she ended up and maybe overdoing it in the middle part of the year, um, there was definitely it, it was it was working on that day.
3: Yeah, very much so. Um, as the set progresses, though, uh, it's Sabalenka again who garners two more break points at three four uh, in the first set. So Iga serving at three four. And on this occasion, what we see is a series of backhand errors, one or two from uh, one or two from Savalenko, and, and, and one crucially from uh, Iga, and therefore Saba gets the break. She takes the first set six three. Um, I know Miles, you were watching, you know, the match itself as well uh, recently. Uh, any sort of other thoughts on that first set?
2: I think. From watching it back, it felt like from the very beginning, Sabalenka had revenge on her mind. I mean, just off the the tails of that Stuttgart match, she really, really wanted to uh, stamp her dominance. And she she knew going in that she could actually lift that, that trophy because she'd done it before. And she beat another world number one to do that in 2021. She beat Ash Barty pretty convincingly in the final. I believe she bageled Ash Barty at one point in the match. I think it was three sets because Sabalenka wavered, but I do believe there was a bagel in there somewhere. So I think all of those things were kind of going through her mind. And sometimes when I, I feel like when I watch Sabalenka, if there is a clear, um, and thought out process in combination with her natural aggressiveness on the court, that's usually the best Sabalenka that I see, um, match in match out one that has a game plan but also not uh it's not too cluttered in her brain about what there is to do on the tennis court because it's very instinctive and she knows what she's good at so that all of those things kind of came to bear and she basically overpowered sweet Tech a little bit
1: with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of
3: time <gasps> Yeah, I mean, let's not forget, and I think it's a really important point, is that, of course, Sabalenka has won in Madrid on the clay there. So I think, Mm -hmm. had she not won this tournament before, I think we might have been having Igor as a heavier favourite. But that narrowed that gap significantly in that we we had some belief that Sabalenka... And also, Sabalenka went into this match as a Grand Slam champion, Um, which, again, mentally is like, you know what, if she's, you know, if she 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 she's got over that hump now, the one thousands, it's not going to be such a, you know, like a Sakuri in in a, a one thousand finals we did see in Guadalajara recently, you know, or, or other players that haven't quite got over that hump previously, you might um, have bigger concerns, but it's like, you know, this the conditions should be okay for her, the 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 confidence should be fine, and and she displayed that with with immense power as you would expect in that first set, taking the ball so early and so cleanly. The second set begins with an early break, though, for Iga to arrest the slide. But then Savalenka breaks back. And when you're in that situation where, you know, it, you, you, one, one player wins the set but also gets a break back, you almost feel as though it's, it's not quite a, a set and a break, but it feels like a set and an advantage. Put it that way. So um, at that point, you're thinking this could be done in straights now. Um, now that, that that Sabalenka's got that that break immediately back as well it was two love and then two all and the way she was playing I I, I think probably some people uh, feared the worst and it got kind of worse for Iga because actually um there were two break points as well for Sabalenka to take a, a take that break advantage at midway point in the in the second set and so these are mini match points uh, as we would say. certainly on another surface we would regard them as mini match points maybe slightly less so on clan especially if it was a little earlier in the set but nevertheless she does get them but she doesn't uh, manage to take them uh which of course is significant miles as you suggested because what happens next
2: after that uh three all game yeah surprisingly enough sabalinka doesn't win another game for that whole entire set which i thought was interesting watching it back the other other night because it i didn't feel it coming but that's exactly what happened and it's it's interesting when in terms of Swiatek you were saying like you know Sabolenka basically having many match points although i didn't feel like Swiatek was ever going to like just be completely dusted
3: away from Sabolenka. was miles at the time mm -hmm. about ego and 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 not having three set matches if you remember that
2: yes i remember after dubai it it kind of felt like um critique of a beater in straight sets it kind of felt like if you got that first set off of her in the beginning of the second set if you jumped on top of her again her fight wasn't there but for for some reason i haven't outside of that little time period i haven't quite associated no i mean yeah, I haven't associated Swiatic with just a got irritated. Being swept absolutely. aside.
0: We, we so were talking about it at the time, and I I, I was going, the the data doesn't show this. Yeah, she was having that weird period, but the open data period. wasn't having yeah. it. I remember having these conversations before, and actually, this sort of period that she's had in like Madrid and through the clay season, she really did show absolutely um, uh, her ability to grit out wins
3: mm-hmm. absolutely you know a breakdown in the third of course in the French Open final among others and and that French Open final was was crazy in terms of momentum swings but um yeah no right sorry to interrupt as well because I remember now as well Iga getting a bit irritated in a press conference in Madrid because she was asked about it and uh not not crazily irritated not sort of YouTube um viral irritated <laughs> but just just notably irked uh, by somebody in, in the media just saying you know um, what's going on here or, or, or probably a bit more tactfully asked but like you know you haven't had any three-set matches really and except for the Alexander over one and probably that question was posed before then and who knows maybe that Alexander over three-setter you know may well have put her in a slightly better position when it came to uh, fighting a three-set match here in the in the final because three sets is exactly what we ended up having after that that little period of of three games in a row from eager which which many of us probably didn't see coming and then we go into the third set and we go and by the way at this point as well the tennis is is really good and one of those characteristics Nick that we often think about when we think about great matches is when we see both players playing amazingly at the same time it doesn't happen that often in a year but I think it happened in this match yeah it really did and the tennis got better as the match went on
0: like that first set was nip and tuck between the two of them yeah um and then it got crazier as the match went on, but they tennis got better. Like, yeah, okay, there were errors every now and again, but one of the reasons I love this match is how many momentum shifts there were and how those momentum shifts were started by one of them upping their level and pushing and making a positive effort rather than waiting for an opponent to falter or take advantage of an opponent sh- faltering. They, they really forced the issue. Um, and we're now in the phase of the match. Yeah, I, I really remember of like one player being on top and looking like they were going to have the momentum. And then the other one completely storing that and going, uh-uh, nah, you you're come back. So, and it's interesting. I think mean, probably some slight spoils, but there were definitely sequences of, so from three all in the second set, it went three games to one player, three games to the <laughs> next, three games to one, three games to the next. Yeah,
2: Little mini surges. Yeah, it Yeah. Is-
0: and and that was what was making and like you you could sit back and going oh is the is it happening with is, is this play in control now and no that's yeah. not what was happening like the 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 opponent figured it out and you know the rally of the match came in the third set where um beginning i think i can't remember what the score was but it ends with eager doing the splits trying to reach a very sharp angled volley from sabalenka <laughs> all over the court the tennis on display. that was a, was a great, great point yeah that one, uh that was, was was incredible yeah. so yeah it's it, that's that's for me what's aside from the quality of shot making um was the proactivity the positivity from both using that to take control of a match at different stages and that was what was pushing the pendulum
2: I think there's also something positive to say about this matchup in terms of them just being number one and number two in the world and playing each other in a final, which you would think on in theory and maybe on paper happens a lot in tennis. But in actuality it does not happen that often especially in the last couple of years on the wta tour that hasn't happened all that often for so for them to do that in back-to-back finals and this one be the culmination of like the first six months of the season being very good to both of them maybe in particular a bit more from sabalenka because she finally got over that hurdle of being a grand slam champion but going into rome just the week after this match sabalenka and Swiatek were very firmly the number one and number two players in the world so to see them battle out again for one of the biggest titles in the in the sport um which is good to see especially for it to have those ebbs and flows and surges from from both players kind of showing that hey i'm the best player in the world sablanca would would go on to officially get that moniker after the u.s open but right there in in may or so she had a she had a, a very good uh a very good I guess a uh, hill to stand on, like, "Hey, I'm the best player
3: in the world right now," you know, even if my ranking doesn't show it. Yeah, yeah. So that was an interesting point as well. I'd forgotten about that—that three-game-in-a-row streak that each player kept having. And I mean, Iga, I guess, was never in front on the scoreboard. I mean, she had an early lead in the in the uh, second set, but obviously being a set down, and then obviously at the beginning of the the third, uh, Sabalenka races into a, a three-love lead, and you think, "What well, is that?" It. Not at all, as eager demonstrated the aforementioned uh, grit uh, by getting it back to uh, three all. Um, in fact, she broke back as well, and again momentum and and just thinking about how these games and points are won and lost, and how they can linger in a tennis player's mind. the the three all the three two that became three all game when she does get the break back eager is a double fault from. Uh, Arena Sabalenka as well. So, again, we know about Sabalenka's history with that much more so in 2022 than 2023. It's really, I
0: will say, during that match, the double fault was actually a fairly rare sight. Like, that was the first time Sabalenka had double faulted in a while. I I can't remember exactly when her previous one was like first or second set,
3: but I looked um, at the second set stats and there was only one in the whole. There were zero aces in the second set, funnily enough, and there was only one double fault in the whole of the second set. Um, yeah, so it's uh, been a while for since she done it. so yeah, it yeah. was a
0: critical moment, but um, it wasn't I, I think also the reason for the double fault was the amount of pressure eager was putting on the return because that, by that point eager yeah. was really hitting
3: some incredible winners. and incredible return winners as well. I, I remember that too. Um, yeah, good points as well. So arguably again, a little bit like in other moments in the match, you know you, you you think now that the break has come back and eager serving first at three all now your money is on eiger I, in terms of momentum certainly anyway um at three all you don't think so nick no Ego wasn't serving first at three all she was sabalenka was oh, serving oh no, you're right you absolutely right i apologize thanks for uh, correcting that the face <laughs> there you can just say nick, I know nick was, <laughs> that was enough for me to sort of stop my stop me in my tracks well <laughs> being stopped in their tracks uh, Iga was then stopped in her tracks in terms of the momentum because um, Sabalenka then goes into a, a 4-3 lead on her serve, but then she does break as well to make it 5-3. Um, am I Before we get into the details of the last game, is there anything you want to say about the, the match until now? Because we're at 5-3 and Sabalenka serving for it and we could spend anything between two and two minutes and two hours talking about this last game. So say something now or forever hold your peace. There we go. Let's get into the last game then. So as I say, this game was, was was again, possibly the number two being the magic number because um, it, it was arguably the second sort of biggest game of the year. Certainly for Sabalenka, it was the second biggest game of the year. And there were some parallels because I think there was another double fault in this game but even if there wasn't there were was some moments of doubt for sabalenka uh she had four championship points and that was exactly the same number of point championship points she had in in uh australia before getting over the line and we'll play a little video shortly um where i spoke to her about those uh coincidences but um what are your thoughts on this final game of the of the match nick oh uh, it was incredible
0: um i think it Again, it was characterized, it was kind of a microcosm of the whole match. of They were going to and fro, and and they were both struggling to win uh, consecutive points. I think Iga did very well to put the pressure on out the gate. She had a break point. Um, I think it was 15, uh, either 15, 40 or 30, 40. I um, think she,
3: had, she went for 15, 40, 30, 40, Yeah, something
0: 15, like that. Yeah. Yeah. She, like, she had a couple. Um, and then. To s- and then she hit like two return winners to save championship points like when Sabalenka had advantage on a couple of them before um yeah. so yeah she it, she refused she was basically in the i'm gonna i'm not gonna lose you're gonna have to beat me mode yeah um which is what eventually happened but um yeah <laughs> the tennis between the two was was really good both were really going for it. It's having, like a serve when it worked was brilliant she was hitting some good winners as well uh, but it was definitely became one of those games you sometimes see in tennis where one player is where the server's more confident on one side of the court compared to the other um the juice versus the ad um which may be um eager maybe miss ruining a missed opportunity at that 30 40 point that she would have had um interestingly eager also had um breakpoint chances in the first game of the set of the okay. third set and mm-hmm. what and uh, very which actually was a very similar game so um it, it's interesting when we talk about it like the score lines maybe not suggesting it but actually this match was on a very fine margin if she broke oh, absolutely her, who knows how this would have gone um but yeah she she made sabalenka work for it and uh how the game progressed and how sabalenka finished it um kind of exemplified that sabalenka had to go out and win that game
3: let's watch the the match point and then we'll have a listen to her press conference and then we'll uh, come to miles and and his thoughts there were some australian open final vibes for me today and i was looking at a couple of comparisons australia was two hours 28 minutes today was 226 i'm sure you weren't aware of that but i tell you, four championship points. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> and, and were you thinking of it during that last game?
2: Actually, yes. I was thinking when I was down uh, with the break in the last game, I was thinking, okay, I did it at the Australia Open, so probably I'll be able to, to get this win this time again. And it's, really, it's, and it's actually helped me to, to stay focused and to have this belief in myself.
3: And yeah, definitely this match reminds a lot uh, of the Australian Open match. <laughs> there we go. Actually, it's all in one one video. There, so that's quite nice. But um yeah, I mean, it's a forehand winner, eager sliding, but knowing it's a lost cause, um and the memories of, of getting over the line. Previously, we've heard this so many times from tennis players. But when you've when you've been there, um you know, Novak, for example, was just saying last night in that interview um, with John vertheim that. You know, you have to accept that that anxiety is going to be there. That's part of it. It's not like just always being positive and just that's how you win sports at big occasions. You know, it's it's actually accepting that this could happen and will happen and does happen. It's about emerging from it and emerging from it pretty quickly and not dwelling on it. And um, if you've been there, seen it and worn the T-shirt, it makes it a lot easier to do so. Uh, Miles, um, any thoughts on that final game or, or what Arena just said? i think well one i think this
2: is the second time i'm bringing this up on your channel john but i love her voice i don't know why that particular clip makes me love her voice and her giggle and the the cadence of it but yeah I, i enjoy that and two i feel like she's a walking poster for um kind of having to get it wrong to get it right yeah Like she's she's been in some very, very big moments in WTA events and Grand Slam events where she's been almost there and gotten it wrong. And then she's kind of gotten right back to those situations before and gotten it right based off of what she went through and her bringing up that she had to save off. or have to go through four match points in Australia and bringing it up in Madrid lets me know that she's thinking about the things that she's been through while she's going through similar moments. And I I love that she's transparent about that, but it also shows like how she is able to find her best level in tennis. And sometimes it's just a, a simple, uh, moment of going back to a place to, to make sure that you're able to deal with the emotions in the current place that you're in right now. It's a weird mental trick, but she, her and listening to her in that in that clip just now makes me realize how she processes it all in the midst of having such a big game where almost every other time she steps up to the line it's in her control and maybe that's how she deals with it
3: always kind of being in her control definitely regarding her personality as well i've just remembered something else that occurred in, in that press conference at the end of the press conference uh, some of those innovative guys from Madrid were uh, asking or asked her to do a, a a 15 20 second selfie video where she's just giving a message to the fans and she's of course she's fine with it and um uh so she does it but you you could almost as well see her thinking I don't know what to say uh, So <laughs> she's supposed to say something so so she has the 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 camera at her and she's sort of with the one or two officials nearby and and then she just goes you know uh Vamos! and then she just laughed <laughs> and that's it and it's it's again it's very cute and, and very innocent and and uh it does the trick i think um and she didn't really she may have stumbled on her lines if you like in this this final games but she she got over the line and um uh you know certain things of course step into the world
1: of power loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family
3: Don't know if she did she didn't definitely win a big Mm -hmm. one again i mean i we i
2: i I don't want to make it sound like not winning any titles for the eventual world number one finishing the year number two is like a bad thing it's not great but she didn't win any other titles after this one
3: so i mean she was still amazingly consistent i mean the thing is if she doesn't get over the line in australia then her year and career is on a knife edge still if you like despite winning. It hasn't changed.
2: Nothing's changed about it. She's still still a Madrid champion and an Adelaide 500 champion, which we already know she can be those things. Exactly.
3: In fact, if if anything, Miles, it has changed, but slightly for the worse because it's another year. It's Mm -hmm. another more bunch of scar tissue, but because she gets over the line in Australia, Everything's different. It's that mm-hmm. that run that we're talking about now, not having won a title since May. Which, by the way, for ninety nine percent of the tour is completely fine. <laughs> right? That's yeah. Like for the elite two or three players, <laughs> it's like, oh, I haven't won a title since Madrid. I mean, if you said that to to ninety nine percent of the tour, they were like, I haven't won a title. Yeah, tri- 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 would totally take that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: actually, she, she don't think she reached
3: a final until the U.S. Open. Yeah.
0: Like okay. the U.S. Open has been her only final since. Actually, but there
3: were semis in in Paris, New York, and and Wimbledon. She and was all. very
0: close to finals in Paris and
3: Wimbledon. Let's be honest, yeah, right. and therefore potentially very close to the title. Uh, in, yeah. in, in in certainly, in, I was in,
2: hoping in, we'd get a certain trifecta from Swiatek and Sabalenka. I think it was a trifecta of Dinara Safina and Svetlana Kuznetsova. I think they played the Stuttgart final. And they played the Roland Garros final. I don't know if I don't know if Svetlana made the final in Madrid in 2009, but there was a an, an actual ebb and flow of the best play quarters. And I was hoping Sabalenka would kind of culminate that at, at uh Roland Garros. But Muhova is a nice, a, a nice place. Was that the, well.
0: the same year with the iconic Serena Williams clip?
2: Which yes, 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 yes. Uh, yes, <laughs> are you looking at my titles or that t-shirt? And then the um, <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. t-shirt and then what was the iconic line she said uh, i'd rather um, i'd rather hold three grand slams sort of like it was something about yeah, <laughs> yeah I, i'd rather hold three grand slams and be the wta world number two than not hold any and be world number one i guess well, i mean hey i mean
3: <laughs> she had a point <laughs> yeah and also if you've been number one and gonna be number one again it, it's not uh, such a big deal i mean if you never get to number one then then it is uh you know you probably you, you certainly want to get there at some point and of course arena did get there later on in the year um, I think I was a little surprised that not not that Iga fought back, but actually was able to get that number one title ba- uh, back before the end of the season, number one uh, ranking. Um, just because of the, the circumstances necessary meant that Sabalenka's barren run for trophies would have to continue. Iga uh, was going to have to have a successful Asian swing and then, of course, an extremely successful WTA finals. But all of those things did happen. And Iga mm-hmm. returned to the top of the tree um of course eager doesn't have so many points to defend in australia uh and arena does so it's probably unlikely to change for another couple of months um i think i think it's really interesting to know what is going to happen between these two players and the rest of the tour we've got i put a poll on on certainly on youtube a few days ago about who people were predicting to have year-end number one For next year, and I think I had Arena, Coco, and Eager, and then an other Mm -hmm. section because you're only allowed to put four on, like on Twitter, you're allowed four categories. So then it's like, well, do you you sort of put the even? And it was fairly evenly spread. Uh, I think Eager did emerge on top. with not when I voted.
2: When I voted, it was pretty clearly Eager. When I voted, okay, maybe it was a bit sixty something Eager.
3: Okay, and that does kind of (laughs) make sense, Nick. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it does
0: because you have to go out and be Eager um and it's going to take someone to come at eager like arena did this year um and a couple of other players to to dethrone her I think um but if anyone can do it it would be Sabalenko now I was thinking about what we were saying about that Cancun match and yeah eager won it comfortably ish but I still think Sabalenka put up a hell of a fight and it was a good Mm -hmm. watch for two sets actually um eager had an edge during it but Sabalenka made actually didn't play that badly um and uh, I thought that she she made it a contest at points so um yeah I think when these two particularly play there's something special happens and I'm looking forward yeah. to when that happens and, and, and yeah if anyone I think uh, yeah I think Arena is probably the person you would look to first to see what she could do maybe also Rebecca
3: yeah what was interesting with the year actually is how they you know all produced fireworks at some point or another um but there was always somebody challenging whoever the top dog in terms of form was so except for the WTA finals I would say until then it was like you know this was arena's moment let's say the first five months of the year uh but um she she never had it all her own way. so you know there was Rebeca for large parts of the first sort of three or four months that was was making her work hard and maybe even beating her on occasion. Then when maybe Rebeca was slightly off form, eager would be on form at that particular tournament. Or if Sabalenka was off form, somebody else was pushing eager You know Mukov certainly had her moments at various tournaments uh, this year as well. And so um, there was always somebody to push somebody. You know uh, you know Bagula as well at, at times as as well and, and Coco of course. So. Yeah, there was always two players at every moment with the exception of that last tournament of the year that were like just making sure that the other player had to produce their absolute best tennis yeah i mean even at the last tournament, the last tournament of the year was
0: uh was interesting, interesting. I Yeah, I, interesting, <laughs> yeah interesting i think for different reasons but um <laughs> i think there was a potential um for that to be the case still that sort of the we were talking about eager arena in that last tournament again they played each other they both had to produce their best eager's best on that day not necessarily generally but on that day was uh was what won out and you know Jessica Gula was looking like she could do it but I think it was sort of form versus reality of when they actually met it was more the problem rather than um anything else uh but th- there was definitely even at that last tournament potential for that to happen
3: yeah definitely okay well I think that brings us to a nice close on the go on miles
2: i have a question kind of broader view about how this match affects how you think of Swiatek's clay dominance though uh, were you about to we about to conclude or just bring us to a different
0: segment
3: no i was about to conclude but i don't think it changes much for me what about you nick
0: no it doesn't change for me it's a bit like asking does Roger losing to Rafa on the down the 2008 Wimbledon final change, my opinion of Roger Federer on grass no, no. Um, it's the same thing for me um on hmm. clay requires her opponent to produce something special to beat her That's let me be
2: I- more specific because I, I had this question in my head before i uttered out the actual question you guys just heard if you go back and think about iga swiatek during the 2020 french open and how that clay court iga swiatek looks do you think that the 2022 version that also won the French Open beats the 2020 Iga Swiatek. Yeah, I think so. She's
3: she's she's she's, she's, you, she's a better player every year. Um, I really, actually you
2: know, I, I don't i don't disagree, but based yeah. off of and I guess I'm basing my memory of that match. I actually think the 2020 version of Iga yeah. Swiatek beats the 2022 and 2023 Roland. i would say this the
0: 2020 iga sviontech is the more fearless version
2: yes she's that's a great way it. to put it yes, she's yes. going
0: for it a lot more i think the 2022 and i would even say the the egos that's be emerging right now as of the end of 2023 mm-hmm. is a much more well-rounded player and i think she might get shocked by her younger self Mm -hmm. Um, but I think she would have the capability to adapt and plan for what her younger self would throw at her. There's a certain,
2: there's a certain, it's, it's not to her detriment often, but there's a certain tightness I feel from watching her matches in the beginning, Mm -hmm. um, and tightness in just the way she produces her strokes. And there was something I noticed in the match against Sabalenka, particularly later on in the match, there's a, a, a looseness and more fluidity that comes from her game when she's when she's intentionally fighting to kind of keep up with her opponent that is asking her, um, and making her rise her level. And that's the, that tennis was more on display in free flowing clay goddessness in 2020 than it is more, more so in 2022, 2023, where we are now. But I feel like she has to be, pushed into that free-flowingness because the base level she's created for herself is perfectly fine to create havoc against almost anyone else but Sabalenka maybe rubakina sometimes so Rabakina did technically beat her on clay this year although it ended in retirement um those two players kind of have to they they kind of re, uh force her to revert back to the 2020 version which i think is better but it's also freer am i making sense anyway <laughs>
0: yeah you know it makes some sense <laughs> and um it makes some sense I mean I haven't seen that um I and I don't necessarily always know if that's the reaction that she always gives but you're right yeah that that wanting to hit a bit f- when she does hit a bit freer and um, then she's very dangerous and that, actually yeah Mukova did that to her in the French Open fight yeah the so there's
2: she's she's so um Maybe I shouldn't use the word tight, but she's efficient in everything that she does, and that efficiency, like I said before, works and can can bagel double bagel opponents. But there's a, a specific style or a type of player that forces her to really open up her game and open up her shoulders, and that is the Suiyatek. I find, uh, sorry if I'm if I'm mispronouncing her name. Suyante, Suyante? Suyante. Um, Suyante. You guys know who I'm talking about. There's just certain, there are certain uh, Polish fans that are always like, you're mispronouncing her name. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) But it's that ego that is forced Mm -hmm. to kind of open up her shoulders. And there's just a little extra five or 10% different that I feel like she goes from a, you know, fairly watchable player to must watch. How does she get out of this predicament? Or how does, how many, how many more notches can her game go up? And I have to watch that kind of sweet artek, you know. Um,
0: actually, you know, there's a there's a there's a point. I mean, this comparison between these two players happens a lot. And maybe John, as someone who maybe saw this player live, you can kind of come in a little bit more on it. But um, from watching some highlights of Steffi Graf, actually, there's a similarity there in that sort of there is. She actually did kind of get tighter as her career went on. Like even watching some of the championship points, the release of tension was always bigger the more she won. Um, mm-hmm. Interestingly. And I definitely think as she got challenged and she adapted and um, uh, kind of came out like yeah. When she similarly like when she unlocked the free flowing thing, it was a uh, nature of her game. It was the abandon. This is me watching clips and highlights rather <laughs> than watching the matches.
3: John? The abandon with which which younger players in in other sports as well tend to have sort of carefree. They sort of take their street football to the stadium if you like, or their <laughs> their park tennis maybe even to the to the big arenas. Actually, as Nick touches upon there, um, actually, the the pressure kind of affects you worse as you, as you often get over. We often think about people, you know, freezing on the big stage in the first time that they're there and so on. But actually, it can often be, not always, but often be the other way around. I think that Steffi comparison was made as well by... Um, by Renee Stubbs recently, I think, wasn't wasn't it, Nick? I think so, she was
2: noting her footwork, how Stephanie all was always moving and Swiatek is always often moving her feet. And it's yeah. in a very controlled and efficient way, not somebody on the complete other side of the spectrum would be her opponent in the Madrid final. Who I feel like Sabalenka has obviously good enough footwork to be a former world number one and Grand Slam champion, but sometimes it can be a little wild Um, and that was on display at, uh, Cancun because of the conditions and the ball swirling and efficient footwork was the winner overall in that tournament, whereas she had the power to hit through things, but sometimes she would get a little tangled and kind of stumble over herself, whereas we almost never stumbles over herself with her footwork, how I view her as a player. I could be wrong because, you know, there's always ebbs and flows, but in general, her footwork is definitely the... The thing that uh, is usually at eight percent all the time
3: okay well that brings us to a close on number two match of the year uh between uh arena sabalenka and iga sviontek in the epic final that took place in madrid um this year so i just want to say thanks to nick carter and miles david for joining me today
0: Uh, thanks for having us john and i just want to finish with um i don't know what your number one is but this match was my number one for the year I wanted
3: a hint I would love
2: a hint to number one do you have a hint for us John
3: we'll, we'll talk backstage in about give me give me 30 seconds all right okay all right. so anyway Thanks, guys. everyone else <laughs> stopping by wonderful and you know the drill there were some Australian open final vibes for me today and I was looking at a couple of comparisons Australia was two hours 28 minutes today was 226 I'm sure you weren't aware of that but i tell you, four championship points. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> and, and were you thinking of it during that last game?
2: Actually, yes. I was thinking when I was down uh, with the break in the last game, I was thinking, okay, I did it at the Australia Open, so probably I'll be able to, to get this win this time again. And it's, really, it's, and it's actually helped me to, to stay focused and to
3: have this belief in myself. And yeah, definitely this match reminds a lot uh, of the Australia Open match. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button, don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. network.
0: plus.